everybody and welcome to the pre-accident podcast i am your host today um what are the, oh yeah todd conklin sorry i it slipped my mind i don't use it that much just uh all the time <clears throat> it is my name you know so today's podcast will be fun i can assure you we're gonna have big fun it's gonna be fun 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 and the reason it's gonna be fun is because i was able to harangue my friend chris hart to uh, be on the podcast. And the reason it's taken so long to get Chris on the podcast is he just um, was the chairman of the NTSB. And so I don't know if you guys know this, but you probably do. A lot of jobs don't want their people to be on podcasts. And that's one of those jobs where they're not that interested in having people on podcasts. Now, Chris, if you've not seen him before, I'll be surprised. He he definitely um, took on the the mantle of traveling around the country and talking about really the new view of safety. Um, and he comes at it from such an interesting background. I'll make sure to put his entire bio in the podcast reading assortment. But he 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 came out of um, well, he's got a, a long history. He's an attorney, but he's an attorney who got really interested in safety. And really, really interested in aviation safety. He came, I met him when he was at the FAA years and years ago, and he went from the FAA to the NTSB and then eventually was the chair of the NTSB. And um, you've seen him. You've seen him on TV. You've seen him responding to accidents. You'll know him. But you haven't gotten to talk to him. And that's worth it. It's funny when we uh, when we hooked up and recorded the podcast. There's usually a few moments before the podcast that we just kind of sit around and talk. And and uh, normally I cut those out because they're not terribly interesting. I mean, sometimes they're funny, and I'll take a little clip out of them, put them at the first. I I think you're going to get to see how the sausage is made today because I'm trying to figure out where to where to cut this to start it, and I can't find a place to cut it because Chris came out of the shoot talking about really interesting stuff even before I had him introduce himself to us. So so you'll just kind of hear the 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 pre-podcast chitter-chatter uh, about the weather and what's going on, but I think it kind of makes the podcast really interesting. So so that is the news from uh, from the podcast this week. You're going to get to sit back and listen to Chris Hart. You're going to it's actually you're going to learn a lot today. I love how Chris thinks about information and collaboration. I won't say anything more about that now because I'm going to give you a chance to listen to the podcast and see what you think. But maybe at the end of the podcast, I'll uh, I'll pontificate a little on that just because it is completely worth thinking about. But we can't really do that if I don't shut up. And so at some point, I probably should shut up. I'm in a good mood. Life is grand. The spring is springing, sprungingness. It's the weather's nice. Um, you know, I, I'd complain, but I don't know what to complain about. So given that as sort of the background, let's just go. Here is my friend, Chris Hart on the pre-accident podcast. Listen carefully because there's much to learn today. Hey, Todd, how you doing? I'm good, man. It's a, it's a beautiful day in New Mexico. How about you? Well, I'm in the middle of rainy Washington. Oh, Unfortunate, but at least it's not cold, rainy Washington. Just yeah. rainy Washington, but it, cold, it, colder it was, than usual. It was rainy over in your part of the world. I was there yesterday, and it was kind of icky. Oh, were you? Oh, yeah, okay. I spoke yeah. at the 
I spoke at the Steelworkers, um, big giant Steelworkers meeting. The uh, really, where was that located? Pittsburgh. The oh, okay. The chair, the new chair of the uh, CSB was there. I didn't get to meet mm-hmm. her, um, but we mm-hmm. were we were up on the stage together. And then the you director, talking about Vanessa? Yeah, she was really impressive. Vanessa Sutherland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did a nice job. And then the director of NIOSH, who I didn't know, was also there. Was a big meeting. I see. Cool. Yes. And how are you, my friend? Well, I'm looking to see what I'm going to do now, now that I've grown up, so to speak, because I'm, as you know, I'm not at the board anymore. That's right. The rest of your life is ahead of you now. What's it going to look like? How about that? Well, <laughs> I've got two things that I'm looking at. One that would be squarely in your bailiwick. The other one you'd be interested in just in general principles. The one you're interested in is is, is driverless cars, because I'm, I'm seeing the automakers make the very same automation mistakes that aviation made decades ago, and they don't seem to be learning from the past. And that's I'd like to see if I can change that course of action. Oh, I bet so. I totally bet so. So that's one that's uh, really exciting, but I'm not having trouble getting, you know, I'm not having any, getting any traction yet because when you talk to the uh, technologists and, you know, the technology guys in Silicon Valley, they kind of say, what's this human of which you speak? And so (laughs) (laughs) I'm not getting a very receptive audience on on bringing, bringing the human into the equation. So now they're thinking of it as a technology problem with a technology solution and they're not, putting the human in that picture so that's that's definitely that's that's you're onto it let's let's have that conversation because you'll get a lot of interest off the podcast from that conversation so what's the other one what's the, the, the other one is what is is workplace safety and process safety when i when i talk all over the place about CAF, commercial aviation safety team you heard me yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. a bunch of times that's a process safety success story that relates to keeping airplanes from crashing i have not seen anybody apply it to such trips and falls workplace safety and I don't see any theoretical reason why it should not be transferable to workplace safety. To Because when, when they applied it to process safety, they, they took a flat stuck fatality rate that had been coming down wonderfully for decades and was getting stuck in the early 90s. And that's what got them scared. And they, and they applied this new collaborative approach to it, CAST, and took that flat stuck rate, which a lot of safety experts said is about as good as it's ever going to get. And they reduced it by more than 80% in less than 10 years. Oh, that's amazing. So, so And plus, when they did that, the usual... The old wives' tale is if you improve productivity, you hurt safety. If you improve safety, you hurt productivity. But but they improve both safety and productivity at the same time. So what an amazing success story this is from a lot of a lot of dimensions. Absolutely. I'm not seeing anybody do that to workplace safety. I think I'm seeing workplace safety statistics that show a similar leveling off, and in some cases going the wrong way after years of decline. And and it seems to me the the scenario should be ripe for a new way of thinking and that, you know, as Einstein said, you keep doing what you've been doing, you keep getting what you've been getting. And to me, if they're just continuing the old way, they're not going to get themselves off that plateau. I think you're, I think you're onto it. I totally think you're onto it. So, so introduce yourselves, give us, give us your background because I think that would be a super um, helpful way to sort of introduce the podcast listeners to who you are. I know you, I've known you a long time, but uh, you're you're quite the (laughs) guy. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, I've, I'm an airplane nut because my mother told me the first thing she ever saw me draw was an airplane. So, okay, guilty. What can I say? <laughs> but so, so that's why it's, it was exciting to me. I'm a pilot as well, as you know. So that's why it's so exciting to me to have this opportunity to have had this opportunity to be at the NTSB because that's, that was the primary reason for their existence was, was airplane crashes. People weren't so afraid of highway crashes and train wrecks. They were afraid of flying. And that's the main reason for the NTSB. So I was excited not only to be at the NTSB and be the chairman of it, but also 
to have the opportunity to exchange notes across the transportation modes, which is something that isn't done nearly enough. I agree. But you you started so in the FAA, that's didn't really you? Exciting. Didn't you start I with was the, in the FAA? FAA for a long time? Yeah, I didn't start there, but I was there for for 14 years. I, I started in a, in a private law firm here in D.C. and then went to the Air Transport Association as, in their general counsel's office and then went to DOT and, and had my own law firm. See, I can't hold a job for very long. So, <laughs> And then and I was at NHTSA for a while. I was their deputy administrator and acting administrator at National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and then FAA after that and then NTSB. Wow. So I've been all over the place. So I've had, a you know, transportation safety has been an exciting career and of course it's up close and personal because i fly and i drive and i ride the train and i do this and i do that so it's not just you know a fun job it's up close and personal when did you start to move from sort of a traditional approach um to safety to to this more enlightened the the, the safety differently the safety to approach because you're a really, really really adopter of this well well what really changed my thinking on that was the administrator of the fa at the time when when cast started the commercial aviation safety team when they started there were two co-founders of that. One of them was the administrator of the FAA. The reason his participation was crucial was because when they, they were looking at that plateau on the on the accident rate, they then that the administrator said something that, that heads of regulatory agencies rarely do. And they and, and that is he said the way to get off this plateau is not more regulations, is not a bigger stick for the regulator. It's a, a collaboration to help all of us figure out how to make this complex system work better. So he, he was really he really opened my eyes to the need to take the big picture look. And, and the moral of the story is actually very simple. The moral of the story is, is if you're involved in the problem, you need to be involved in the solution. That's very simple. Agreed. Yeah. A hundred percent. I say it all the time. If you own the problem, you have to own the solution and vice versa. Exactly. Exactly. So he was really the one who brought that to my attention, how important, how powerful collaboration could be. And just giving the regulator a bigger stick is not the answer to the question because the, the problem wasn't, that we need more regulations. The problem was this is a very complex system, and we got to figure out how to make it work better. Where did where did you where did you learn? I mean, where did you take your early information and develop it into the presentation that you gave? Gosh, for well, that was on the job training from you know seeing it at the FAA, and I, and the part that I worked in in particular at the FAA was the fuel for that process. The information that about things that are going right and things that are going wrong on the front line, and and that's why at the FAA I developed a program called GAIN, which which is acronym for Global Aviation Information Network, which is all about collecting and analyzing data about flight operations and and seeing the near misses and seeing what's going right and what's going wrong and using that data to prevent accidents rather than just coming in after the crash and figuring out what went wrong. How did you get people to put data into that? So that was a challenge because they were concerned about uh, the, the possibility that it might be used against them. So that's how I helped to get legislation in place, which is now ruling the day, which enables them to to not worry about the, that information being used against them. And that's how come they're providing it to MITRE to be in this huge, huge database of millions of flights. And that information then really grew to create what is probably one of the best success stories of reliable systems that we can tell, the, the commercial well, aviation well, story. It's actually the fuel for the process. I mean, the, the, the collaboration is the, is the engine. The fuel for that engine is the information. And that's where, that's where MITRE that's where that information that's being provided to MITRE fuels that process to make it work. And that's what's exciting about it is that now we have so much information that it, it's such a valuable database that can be mined for a whole bunch of things. And so when you see a problem, then you can look back historically and see, get more information about the roots of that problem and then do something about it to fix it. That's quite remarkable. 
Did you take that? that did you take that new view into into NTSB with you? No question. And not only that, I'm they're starting to use it in other modes of transportation. And I, and what I'm saying is that's all for keeping things from crashing, which I call process safety. I'm not seeing anybody use it for workplace safety. Right. So that to me is is, is a huge opportunity to take what is apparently a a rate of workplace safety accidents that's also reaching a plateau or maybe in some cases getting worse. I think this is a huge opportunity to turn that around and do what they did with, with CAS and take that flat stuck rate and reduce it significantly. How would you recommend we do that? Well, that's the challenge because I find that when I go to workplace safety conferences and talk about CAS, I get a bunch of blank stares, like what on earth are you talking about sort of thing. So here, so my recommendation is that unlike aviation, Aviation is is unique in that, well, not unique, but it's it's got a characteristic that not many industries have, in that anybody's crash is everybody's crash. So, so that's why it's not, you know, I'm flying on airline X, and, but I'm not worried because that plane that crashed was airline Y. That's not the way the public thinks, and quite the contrary, the public thinks that German airplane crashed in the French Alps, and I'm concerned because I'm flying to Pittsburgh. So that, so it's a worldwide phenomenon that anybody's crash. Is everybody's crash and the only other industry i know that has it to that extent is nuclear where you have you know a tsunami in japan and next thing you know germany is saying no more nuclear reactors so most industries don't have that but the reason that i bring that up is that in aviation what that means is i'm not just trying to prevent my crashes i don't want you to crash either because it's going to look bad for me so that's what that's one of the things that enables everybody to work together and collaborate because anybody's crash is everybody's crash so <laughs> Do you think it, we can it, create it's a, unique? Do you think we can create a sense of shared fate like that? I don't, and that's why I'm saying that my approach in other industries, in especially in workplace safety, would be very different. Instead of doing an industry-wide macro approach like aviation did, I would go to the opposite extreme and do a very micro approach. And so, what I would say to each individual company, and this is not just aviation, of course, this is any industry where workers can get hurt. What I'd say to every individual company is, look at your data and and Point, to, point out to me the one that's been the burr under your saddle for, the, for a long, long time, several years. You've tried this fix. You've tried that fix. You've tried the other fix, and it's still a burr under your saddle. It's still hurting people, and it's still killing people. So take that micro example and <clears throat> form a process improvement team around that example because if it's been happening a long time despite a bunch of fixes, that almost certainly means it's not the people who are doing it because the people come and the people go, and you're still having the problem. Almost certainly it's the processes and the equipment and the rules and the procedures that are being used, and that's what needs to be revisited. So I, I recommend taking that micro burr under the saddle example and forming a process improvement team around that, a collaborative team that includes everybody who's got a dog in the fight. So, so here's what I don't see happening in workplace safety. The collaboration in CAST was very – I don't think it would have been nearly as successful if it did not include the regulator, the FAA. I don't see – OSHA as being a collaborative agency. I think OSHA is a is an enforcement agency. Getting them to collaborate is going to be a huge, huge challenge. The other thing that I don't see in workplace safety is the participation by the manufacturers, Boeing and Airbus. They were their key players in CAST. I don't see any manufacturers involved in the workplace safety collaboration. It seems to me the manufacturers of the tools and the equipment would, would have much to gain by seeing how their stuff is used in the real world and learning from it and modifying their design so that it takes into account the realities of what's happening and makes it more efficient and safer. So, so I, and here's the, here's the third significant difference is that CAST focused on safety. 
in my experience, workplace safety efforts focus on compliance, which is a very, very different goal. So compliance with very, very prescriptive regulations. So if you focus on compliance, I think CAST has demonstrated, because the level of safety that CAST produced is so far above the regulatory for compliance that in the entire 20 plus years that CAST has been in existence, they have never generated a single new regulation. And that's because they're so far above the regulatory floor that it's not even in their rearview mirror. So, so I would submit that if, if a, a process addressing workplace safety focused on safety instead of focusing on compliance, it could produce a much higher level of safety. Do you think one of the challenges is, because I think you're saying two really important, well, you're saying a lot of really important things, but there's two really important things. One is that mm-hmm. the, 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 the solution is collaboration the data right. is the fuel. And I think right now we see the data as the endpoint, but in fact, the right. data, the data just fuels a collaboration. And the other thing, it's I think starting point, right. The other thing you're saying, which I think is incredibly vital is that this collective, this collective identity, this collect, we're all in this together is, mm-hmm. is really important to do that though. I think we have to change what the outcome is because right now I think that I think people see safety as a success if they're compliant. But in right. fact, that's probably not the outcome. The outcome is not compliance. The outcome really right. is reliability. Fair enough. And the theory that I use for that is if if you're just looking at regulations, what if you get into a situation that doesn't have a regulation? Because there's no way you're going to develop a regulation for every situation. So what if you get into a situation that doesn't have a regulation? Are you going to be thinking safety in that situation. And what I'm saying is that when your focus was on safety, then you're always thinking safety. When your focus is on compliance, you figure, okay, we complied, we're done. End of story. So how does that idea thread to autonomous cars? Well, that's a, the, those are two very separate ideas. The, it doesn't really relate to autonomous cars. That's just a, 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 a failure to use, to learn from history, the history of automation mistakes. And I've got a whole bunch of those in aviation that I use when I talk in car conferences you know about look at you guys are making this mistake you're making that mistake you see this last accident in tempe is just such a classic textbook example of automation not being able to handle unanticipated circumstances and that and they faced that all over the place in aviation where they had several situations where the automation didn't know how to deal with an unanticipated circumstance and so what do you what do you take out of this tempe event that that you think the car people should be learning well i'm waiting to ntsb is investigating it so i'll have to wait till they really investigate it because i don't know that much about it right i'm not at the ntsb anymore but but it just looks to me from the little bit i know so far that the 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 what i say about automation the challenge with automation is always the what if and there are several what ifs the first the biggest what if is what if it fails and that's a lot of technologists refuse to admit that, even though it seems to me like 100 years ago, we learned to stop saying this ship can't sink because <laughs> sooner or later it can sink. So so that's one is what if the automation just outright fails? Another one is this one. What if it encounters unanticipated circumstances? And those are two that have to be addressed before you take the person out of the car. But meanwhile, while the person is still in the car, there's also a third what if, which is what if the automation is not human friendly? What if it's not? friendly to the operator and the operator doesn't understand it or is confused about what, what it's doing or whatever. And so that's, so there are a lot of what ifs and that's where automation is challenged is how does it address the what ifs? How did aviation handle the variability question? Well, there isn't as much variability. That's one of the big differences. It's a very very linear process for sure. Right. Exactly. So if you're doing an instrument approach, a bad weather approach in 
Cleveland, you're going to be seeing the same bad weather approach in Moscow and the same bad weather approach in Johannesburg. And so there's a, a lot less variability in aviation than there is on, on our streets and highways, especially in the city. So that's so interesting. That's so interesting. Oh, it's fascinating. Gosh, that's crazy. And and are you available to go out <clears throat> and work with companies and, and help them think about I'm, these things? trying to get my name out there and do it now the reason my name's not out there is because when the ntsb first of all highway crashes aren't what we do the most most of the ntsb's work is focused on aviation but when we do do highway crashes it's usually crashes with significant systemic consequences and that typically means big trucks and big buses with commercial drivers we rarely do joe public with his car so the first time we really gotten into joe public with his car was in these recent tesla crashes the first one we did was the one in Florida a couple of years ago where the where the Tesla submarine under the, the left turning semi truck if you know that are you familiar with that accident yeah yeah I know the one okay so so it was a high-speed road with it wasn't an interstate that didn't have intersections it was a high-speed road that did have intersections and at one intersection a truck coming the opposite direction a semi truck was turning left and the car submarine under the trailer of that truck and without at 74 miles an hour and there weren't even any skid marks so there weren't skid marks because the truck, the car didn't see the truck and the driver wasn't paying attention because the driver had been bragging in social media about my autopilot. That's what they call it. I think that's a big mistake. My autopilot was driving the car and I'm not necessary. So I'm playing Sudoku. So, so that was an example where 74 miles an hour under this truck without even any skid marks. Wow. So that, that was the first one that we looked at because we were fascinated by the whole automation thing. And, and ironically enough, I don't know, whether this is just a coincidence or not, that happened in May of 2016. Almost two months later, June 30th of 2016, I'm giving a speech on autonomous cars and the challenges of automation with autonomous cars. And one of the questions that was asked of me was, do you think any, if there are some fatal crashes with this autonomy, is that going to stop, stop the progress of the industry? And I said, absolutely not. This train has left the station. There will be fatalities and, and, but it's not going to stop things because the momentum, the momentum is already built. So here's the, here's the irony. That was June 30th, a luncheon speech. That afternoon was the first time Tesla announced to the public about this crash in Florida. That hurt, happened in May, happened the month before. So I'm wondering, wow, was that a coincidence or was, it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> was exactly. there some connection there? So, so, I mean, the people in Florida obviously knew about it in that town in Florida, but, you know, around the world, it wasn't known. In fact, apparently the SEC was upset with them because they did a securities offering in the meantime, and their SEC is saying, you didn't announce this crash in your securities offering. And, of course, Tesla is saying, well, so what? General Motors, when they do securities offering, they don't announce all of their crashes either. So, <laughs> so anyway, another legal battle. But, but the point is that I talked about that way back then, and that crash was just a textbook example of where Here's this guy over relying on this thing called autopilot because, you know, in, in airplanes, when pilots have autopilots, they know that they are still very important to the process. When Joe Public has autopilot in his car, eh, that can lead to the impression, I'm not important. This autopilot is doing everything for me, so I don't need to worry about it. Well, not true. So that's why I think huge mistake to call it autopilot. That's remarkable. And all this experience, all, all this investigatory and sort of administrative experience you bring to the table. What what do you think the future holds for us? I mean, where where is this all heading? I think the potential for saving lives with automation in cars is amazing because we are losing more than 100 people every day on highway crashes, 40,000 a year. What an amazing public health disaster that is. I think 
the theory is you take the human out of the loop, you take the human error out of the loop. And right now they're saying human error is responsible for like 94% of these crashes. So what a, what a big impact that could have. And I'm confident that automation eventually will have a huge, huge impact in reducing that number big time. But getting there isn't as easy as a lot of people seem to think. And they have to automate for distance. the human. Instead of automating instead of the human, they automate for the human. That, that's right, yeah? Well, well, they're starting with automating with the human, but the ultimate goal is to get the human out of the picture so that people, even impaired people or blind people or whatever, can use cars and get around. Wow. But that's that's a long way down the road. And people who think that, yeah, the streets are going to be full of autonomous vehicles in four or five or six years, I think that's way underestimating the seriousness, the challenges of this endeavor. So it'll move methodically and slowly, but it'll move. Yes, it will definitely move. It's already moving and moving with driver assist now, and you're seeing already some problems with driver assist because some of it is too confusing and people don't understand it. And I'm wondering how often does it distract somebody so that the distraction itself causes a crash? And, you know, there's lots of reasons that driver assist, once again, shows that fundamental mistake that the car makers are making, which is let's automate because we can versus let's automate because it makes the human machine system work better. So when aviation automated because they could, they, they found out the hard way that that didn't really make things necessarily safer. And that's what led to the evolution towards what's called human centric automation. So, so when people ask me how long before I get on an air, airliner with no pilots, I say, well, not until they figure out a graceful exit for the what ifs and they haven't figured that out yet. And until they do, Sully is going to be there to save the day when the airplane runs into birds and becomes a glider. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. What yep. are you reading now? What are you thinking? Where are you getting new information? Just everywhere I look, there's this stuff happening every day. So like this latest crash in Tempe, and then there was the one with the uh, driverless uh, shuttle in Las Vegas that had the, the minor crash with the, uh, with the uh, tractor trailer. And then, then there was the one with the Tesla that ran into the fire truck that was stopped in left lane of an interstate to deal with a crash. And then there was the Tesla one in Florida. So Every day there's something new to to show to make the point that this ain't going to be as easy as people think. So if people wanted to contact you, Chris, how would they do it? Do you have a web page or what's going on? I'm I'm working on a web page now, but right now the best way is to, by internet, and that's the because uh, I formed my a company called Heart Solutions LLC. So my email address is Chris C H R I S at HeartSolutionsLLC.com. Chris at HeartSolutionsLLC.com. Man, thanks, thanks for your time. This was great. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime you want. You know, your problem is getting me to shut up, as you can tell. <laughs> no, that's the good part. That's the, that's the part I like. <laughs> that was Chris Hart. What do you think? <laughs> Wasn't that fun? It, it's uh, you can see. I just didn't want to cut anything out because he just he just starts. He just hits the ground running, man. He's talking about stuff all of a sudden, and he's always been that way. And he's just smart, and funny, and interesting, and and connected, and and he's great to hang out with. That's for sure. And the cast system, if you get a chance to look that up, it's worth looking up. It's really um, I don't. It's not really a a program. It is a program, but it's really a philosophy around collaboration that aviation used. And that's kind of what Chris is drawn to. I love how he says the data is the fuel. The collaboration is the engine. Um, that's, um, 
That's powerful. I think you've probably heard me say the data is the ingredients, the collaboration is the lasagna. It, you know, we're just interested in the different different metaphors. That's all. I, you know, I'll never miss a chance to to use a lasagna metaphor. <laughs> no way. But I think that's a really powerful part of what happens. You ought to contact Chris now. It's Chris and and Heart Solutions. Heart is spelled H A R T. So that that's the one thing you need to know. Completely worth talking to and and an impressive, impressive resume and a good guy and on the podcast. So what else? I mean, there you go, baby. What else can you come up with than that? That's amazing. That is the podcast. Thanks for your time. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, let's keep it going. Um, everybody's welcome, and I'm glad you're here. If it's your first time, this is a really good one. You're going to think I'm impressive. I hang out with special people, that's for sure. Um, but until then, learn something new every single day. Bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can, and for goodness sakes, be safe. <laughs>